0: Thank you. Right, guys welcome back to revive school here we are in lesson 12 we continue our study with the book of isaiah here we are in the major prophets now man this week kevin we're on our fourth lesson already uh, fourth day and it feels like we've just jumped into a fire hose and are trying to grasp anything that isaiah is communicating because it's extremely complicated i want to say it's simple it really kind of actually is but at the same time, you have to, to wrap your mind around this. Okay, let's go to the Kings and the Prophets screen, if we can, <clears throat> just to kind of give you a visual again. So here you have Isaiah, roughly between 740 and 680. He's got four kings, you know, at some point, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. We do know that he's speaking into the southern kingdom, okay? Okay. He's prophesying that they're gonna go into Babylonian captivity. He's prophesying that Messiah is gonna come the first time. He's prophesying that Messiah is gonna come the second time. You ready for this? He's prophesying, that's not even on the screen, that, oh, by the way, Jesus, when he comes back, he's gonna establish with the remnant a millennium. He's gonna establish a place where, like, there's no death. No tears. No pain and oh, by the way, the enemy, quote unquote, will be punished and put away permanently. All of this is found in the book of Isaiah. And what you see is, is in the first uh, 12 chapters, you see prophecies specifically about Judah and Jerusalem. In 13 through 23, they're prophecies and oracles of judgment against the other nations And then you have what we just have been talking about, where we're going to get into today in 24 through 27. Isaiah 24 through 27, you have prophecies that are worldwide. So there's this judgment that's coming against the earth. And praise the Lord, we talked about this yesterday. We'll get into this today. There will be deliverance as well. So you always have this judgment card and then this deliverance card. And that's Isaiah's role. And none of it is super encouraging until you get to the good stuff. But the bad stuff should make us turn and repent to the Lord. Isaiah, now we're talking about two chapters today. Now normally we, we try to just do one chapter, one section. I don't even feel like you can do that in this. Like in order to continue to build with what we've just done talking about, we're going to attempt to continue to summarize one chapter and then unpack a little bit more. So we're going to summarize Isaiah 26 and then unpack Isaiah 27. But you've got to understand, 26 and 27, if you go to Isaiah 24... Kevin, Isaiah 24, 14 through 16. We talked about this yesterday. and It's an interesting picture. It says, they raise their voices, they sing out. This they, okay, is Isaiah 24, 6. It's the remnant. Even though judgment is coming to the earth, it says the earth inhabitants have been burned and only a few survive. So when you're talking about the, the few that are singing, it's the remnant. It's the remnant have taken place. Kevin, these are the group that's surviving the tribulation. And so here they are praising and singing to the Lord. So that's kind of your, your imagery. That's kind of the thought, even as we talk about Isaiah 25. I mean, think about this in verse 6. Remember this? Isaiah 25, verse 6, it says, and then they're going to be able to enter into the millennium. There's going to be an incredible feast, wine and meat and more wine. All of this is is because then it says at the very end in verse 9, it says, on that day, as all of this unfolds, they will be able to say, we have waited for him. He has saved us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. Uh, let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. That's what we're going to have coming in Isaiah 26. Isaiah just wrote about the millennium and how the remnant get to experience the Lord's salvation. They get to experience an incredible feast. So when you go to Isaiah 26, uh, Isaiah twenty-six, the first six verses, Warren Wearsby breaks it up really into four categories. Remember, I'm just going to do a summary of this. In the first six verses, it talks about a strong, the strong city. In in other words, what you're going to see here, Kevin, it says on this day, on that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We've got a strong city. Salvation is established as walls and ramparts. Open the gate so a righteous nation can come in, one that remains faithful. Verse three, you will keep the mind that is dependent upon you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. Verse four says, trust in the Lord forever, because in Yah, the Lord is an everlasting rock. Continues on in verse five and six, for he has humbled those who live in lofty places, an inaccessible city. He brings it down. He brings it down to the ground. He throws it to the dust. And then he says, feet trample it. The feet of the humble, the steps of the poor. In other words, here's what you have. In first six verses, Isaiah is describing through the Lord that God is going to level out the cities. We've talked about this. We've established this. And that Mount Zion will be exalted. Mount Zion will be the righteous city. If you go to Zechariah. Thirteen, one, Kevin. This is just the emphasis of the remnant singing again. And this is the description that we're talking about. It says, on that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the residents of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity. This is talking about, here you have the folks, Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the house of David will be established. Now, the scripture continues on in verses 7 through 11. What's so fun about this is, is you're going to see this description of a level path. The path of the righteous is level. You clear a straight path for the righteous. Yes, Yahweh, we wait for you. In the path of your judgments, our desire is for your name and renown. I long for you in the night. Yes, my spirit within me diligently seeks you. For when your judgments are in the land, the inhabitants of the world will will learn righteousness But if the wicked is shown favor, he does not learn righteousness. In a righteous land, he acts unjustly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. In verse 11, Lord, your hand is lifted up to take action, but they don't see it. They will see your zeal for your people and they will be put to shame. The fire for your adversaries will consume them and God will clearly uh, make a path. I mean, the Jews have, and I love what Wearsby says, have traveled a really tough path. The Jews have traveled a tough road, but now the kingdom is established and God is truly going to make a smooth path. Uh, He's going to actually make it a way that they can walk into this place with no problem. So what what does it look like? Think about this. The city's been established and now he creates a path. Now he shows them you will have a path to walk into. Now, as you continue on with the study in verses 12 through 18, Wiersbe just says, look, the woman in travail, Isaiah 26 verse 12, Lord, you will establish peace for us, for you have done all our work for us. I love that, by the way. You've done the work, Lord. Yahweh, our God, lords other than you have ruled over us, but we remember your name alone. The dead do not live, departed sit, spirits do not rise up. Indeed, you have visited and destroyed them. You have wiped out all memory of them. You've added to the nation, Lord. You've added the nation. You are honored. You expanded all the borders of the land. Lord, they went to you in their distress. They poured out whispered prayers because your discipline fell on them. As a pregnant woman about to give birth, writhes and cries out in her pains, so we were before you, Lord. We became pregnant. We writhed in pain. We gave birth to win. We've won no victories on earth. I think that's a cool picture. And the earth's inhabitants have not fallen. And it says in verse, uh, just you can say there, Kevin, on verse 18. So here it is. We have gone in pregnant. We've become impregnant. We've gone into pain. In fact, we've done nothing. We have done nothing in all of this. In the agony of the day of the Lord, like, it's like a woman in birth. Like, that's the picture that you have. In that day, like, there is a lot going on in the process. But now watch, in 19 through 21, as we wrap up this chapter, you will see, though, that there is what's called life-giving (laughs) due. Thanks for hanging in here as we unfold this. Your dead will live. Your bodies will rise. awaken seeing you who dwell in the dust. For you will be covered with the morning dew and the earth will bring forth the departed spirits. Verse 20, go my people, enter your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until the wrath has passed. For look, the Lord is coming from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will reveal the bloodshed on it and will no longer conceal her slain. All right, Uh, here's the picture. I mean, the obvious of the life-giving dew, as the dew, and Wearsby says it well, as the dew brings new life to soil and vegetation, God is going to raise the dead, hang in here with me, out of the earth. God is going to two different things. You can look at it two different ways. Uh, Obviously, there's going to be taking uh, victory over death. That's kind of the obvious one. Victory is going to take place over death. But then there's this resurrection to humanity. Resurrection is going to be taking place. Now, you can look at this resurrection with the life giving due in two different ways. One is is Israel is going to be established again. Okay, there's a national survival. Okay, and at the same time, he could be talking about individual resurrection. So here we have this picture of life giving due in the end. Maybe he's breathing life into all of the national of Israel or maybe he's Doing both, that's a figurative, or maybe the individual resurrection, which is the literal. Okay? Make sense? Jerusalem's being established. The path is being made. There's going to be a process and it's going to be painful. Like, this is painful. In this time of tribulation, it's painful. But oh, by the way, when it's said and done, resurrection's going to take place. Okay, everybody with me? Now, here's where it gets really, really bizarre. You have to understand something. And I believe this before the restoration of all of Israel, God's people will, and I think this is very true what Wearsby says, God's people will experience hard times. It points to Revelation 12. Now you can say, well, you lost me again, Kyle. You lost me again. I believe we're going to be raptured out of here before the tribulation. Look, man, I have no problem. I have no problem if that's your view. All I want to just say is, is just in case, let's get ready. <laughs> you don't think I want to be taken out before the tribulation? I'm pretty sure everybody here would be like, yeah, let's go. But what if, what if some of this language, you guys, implies like we might be around? I mean, Kevin, if you think about this in, in Isaiah 26, can you go back to verse 20? In Isaiah 26, verse 20, uh, Look at this. Go, my people, enter your rooms. Close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until the wrath has passed. Kevin, I don't know how else to get around this. What do you think that means? There's going to be a time of God's anger being poured out on the earth. And some of his people are going to experience it. And we talked about this in Isaiah 24 and 25 about the remnant. That there will be a faithful remnant, right? Who's to say that? He's not continuing this conversation and he says, hey, by by the way, you guys need to enter into your rooms because there's wrath coming. Just, I, Wouldn't that be nice if you could just close your doors and that's it? <laughs> just hide for a little while, turn on the TV <laughs> until the wrath has passed. I think it's going to be a little bit more intense than that, probably. But I think this is the picture that we're having, is that once you've gone through this, this process, life-giving due is going to take place. Resurrection is going to take place, whether it's national or individual, you can almost say based on this text, just this text alone, that somebody's going to have to go through some hard times. It's probably the tribulation, but I want to just say it's totally worth it. Uh, Tom Constable says, you know, before the new city gates are opened and redeemed, uh, God's going to have to come and people are going to have to shut their doors against their foes. I think that's a really interesting image here. So, All right, this is your picture here. I know we haven't got to Isaiah 27 yet, um, but I will say this. (sighs) Do I want to go there? No, I'm not going to go there yet. I might come back to this. Let's go to Isaiah 27, verse 1. All right, Kevin, are we good? You think we're clear? I mean, as much as we can. It's a lot here. Isaiah 27, he doesn't hold back anymore, you guys. So this is the process, okay? Resurrection's taking place. People are coming back. Now watch in verse Man. Yeah, let's do this. Verse one, it says this, Isaiah 27. On that day, the Lord, with his harsh, great and strong sword, will bring judgment on Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent. He will slay the monster that is in the sea. All right, let's just kind of state some of the obvious. Uh, Leviathan, you know, uh, multiple myths. Israel had multiple myths out there about sea monsters. That's really the truth, okay? Okay. Uh, and they compared many to the Leviathan, the Leviathan as a crocodile. I, you know what? I'd love to tell you I know. I'd love to tell you I've done the studies back in Israel, back in the days. These are what people have done. And this is a possible picture here. The point is this, is that God is going to come in and slay the Leviathan and it's going to be considered a great achievement. OK, this great monster, this great sea monster, this great monster, God's going to come in. And it's an image. I think it's a fair statement that God's going to come in and clearly take hold of what? The enemy. He's going to take hold of the enemy. And, and the Lord promised to do this. I mean, Satan, I think this is it's so true. Satan had such a stronghold on the enemies that finally God's going to come in and say enough's enough. God's people can truly be free from the bondage of Satan and all the false gods that he as 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 Nelson's uh, I'm sorry, as Warden Wearsby says that, that these false gods seduce people to to worship them. We can rejoice actually that the monster has been slain. Again, it's uh did he really kill the Leviathan? Hmm. Or did he kill and wipe out take out Satan? Yes. <laughs> That makes sense? It's just, Kevin, it goes to those three dots again. But he does say, on that day, you have this image. It says in verse day again, here it is again, on that day, sing about a desirable vineyard. I mean, again, this vineyard in Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, it's a vineyard is, is Israel. Sing about Israel is what he's talking about, both Israel in, in that day and then a future Israel to come. Sing about what God's doing and about what God is going to be doing. And he says in verse three, and, and here's the description, I, the Lord, watch over it regularly, right? I, I water it regularly. I guard it night and day so that no one disturbs it. So God's scripture, this says, remember this, we're singing about a vineyard that's Israel, correct? And now God's watching over it. He waters it. He guards it because he doesn't want anybody to disturb it. And he says in verse four, I'm not even angry. But if it produces thorns and briars for me, <laughs> if Israel produces thorns and briars for me, I'll fight against it, trample it and burn it to the ground. In other words, uh, like he wants his people to turn to him, true? And so he's going to put up with all of these things, true statement, That even if they turn away, God's going to say, I'm going to keep refining them in the process. It's a cool picture of patience, isn't it? It says in verse five, or let it take hold of my strength. Let it make peace with me, make peace with me. Uh, You know, God's enemies are going to come at him as well. God's enemies are going to come against the vineyard and they're going to try to damage the vineyard in any way that he can. And if they come against the Lord, the Lord's going to give them protection. Okay, I'm going to back up and make sure you understand this a little bit more because I want to make sure I'm slowing down here. In verse 4, it says this, okay? It says, if it produces thorns and briars, I'll fight against it, trample it, and burn it to the ground, or let it take hold of my strength. If his enemies are trying to damage his vineyard, you know that he's giving an out for the enemies? You see this? Or the enemies can take hold of my strength. Let it make peace with me and make peace with me. God is actually giving an out for those that are opposed to God. So in four and five, he's talking about Israel, but the enemies, if they have something against God, he says, hey, look, you can still turn to me, make peace with me. And he says it again, make peace with me. Peace is possible for anybody that's against the gospel. Peace is possible for anybody that's against the Lord. It's like in, in 24, uh, 27, four and five, he's like, hey, by the way, I, I'm, I'm all about second chances. If you are like a a, a staunch enemy, look at Saul, who then became Paul. Let it make peace with me. Let it make peace with me. He wants to protect his vineyard, even if it means restoring his enemies. In verse six, it says this in days to come. This is a really cool picture, Kevin, in days. Now we said on that day. Now we got in these days, in those days. (laughs) In days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will blossom and bloom and fill the whole world with fruit. All right, guys, what are your thoughts on this verse? Where where are we in all of this? Clearly, his hand is on the vineyard. Clearly, he's protecting him against the enemies. But now he says in the days to come. So first of all, he says on that day, this stuff's going to happen. Now in these days, this is going to happen. Kevin, what are your initial thoughts? I think in in days to come or after on that day but i'm not sure (laughs) i mean i would agree in days to come or after on that day but rich you want to add anything about what verse six even looks like to me it's kind of a picture of christ is what i see there How? how how well he's in the line of jacob um but that the whole world being filled with fruit, I mean, it's the opposite of what you, what the picture he's painted as to why the destruction has fallen. And so all of that comes through one person, that being the root, that being Jesus Christ. So you have this, uh, much like what he's also been talking about here, about how he's giving them an option, right? You, you can take my wrath or you can take my salvation and be with me and have, in Tom's case, um, uh, a ribeye, right? So... To me, that's what I see there. That's a cool picture. I don't know if I'm right or I'm wrong, but that's just me. It sounds good. I mean, think of Okay, back up to Isaiah 27 again. Here you have the Leviathan um, destroyed, correct? Here you have the Lord still giving an out to his enemy, saying, hey, you can still make peace with me. And then he says, and in verse 6, like Israel's going to flourish. I mean, the prophetic word is going to... To flourish, it is a picture of Christ. I mean, Christ is coming in. Israel's going to flourish because of Christ. Because of Emmanuel, God with us, because he came the first time, because he's coming the second time, Israel will blossom and bloom and fill the whole world with fruit. Israel will be a blessing because of Christ. Now, is he talking about uh, <laughs> the current or is he talking about the future? Yes. 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 keep going if we can. Uh, Verse seven. Did the Lord strike Israel as he struck the one who struck Israel? (laughs) It's a rhetorical question. Was he killed like those killed by him? Did God ever deal as harshly with Israel as their enemies? Well, sometimes I'd say yes. But the reality is in verse eight, he begins to unfold this. You disputed with her. By banishing and driving her away, he removed her with his severe storm on the day of the east wind. Therefore, now watch this, Jacob's iniquity will be purged in this way. And the result of the removal of his sin will be like this. When he makes all of the altar stones like crushed bits of chalk, no asherah poles or incense altars will remain standing. All right, here we go. We got to unpack some of this because there's feel like you just want to, like, read through this and be like, what? (laughs) Okay. In the day of the Lord, okay, God is going to use, in verse 9, this this purging mentality. Okay. God is going to actually use suffering. I think this is a true statement, and I like what Wiersbe says, to purge his people and prepare them for the kingdom. Okay. Now, verse 9, though, doesn't suggest personal suffering can atone for sin, we know only sacrifice through Christ can do that. Only Christ's sacrifice can provide that. But sometimes when you look at this, it could look like, hey, look, suffering could bring about atonement. It doesn't. God uses suffering and discipline in order to bring us to submission, where he says it well, so that we'll seek him and his holiness. Uh, I mean, think about the Babylonian captivity, Kevin. That's where it's like, well, he could be talking about even some of this stuff. Like you could be purged. Right. And so all of these things are being removed. All of these things are being gone. So what are they forced with? Nothing except turning to the Lord. So all the idolatry could have been removed just simply in the Babylonian captivity. So he could be talking about that or the end. I think that's kind of where you have to slow down and say, you know, I'm okay if this message is for multiple times. You kind of have to. It's the already but not yet mentality. It's the Joel and the Acts mentality. It's the already of Isaiah 27 or just the book of Isaiah and Revelation. Yes, and but not quite yet. And I think if you have this mentality, man, God can really speak to you through this picture. And it says in verses uh, 10 and on, He says, for the fortified city will be deserted, pastures abandoned and forsaken like a wilderness. Calves will graze there and there there they will spread out and strip its branches. When its branches dry out, they will be broken off. Women will come and make fires with them for they are not a people with understanding. Therefore, their maker will not have compassion on them and their creator will not be gracious to them. So Kevin, here you have a picture. Okay, many would say, after Babylonian captivity. Here you have a picture of what does Jerusalem look like after the captivity. People are coming back and and look look what they're seeing. I mean God temporarily, it could look like God took away all of his mercy in order for his purposes, Wearsby says it well, to be fulfilled. And God maybe took them through this whole process in order for, and these activities took place outside of the city But the destruction took place because, I mean, they they didn't have any discernment, you guys. They didn't have any understanding. He needed to catch their attention. And then he says in verse 12 again, here it goes again, Kevin. It's your favorite phrase. On that day, the Lord will thresh grain from the Euphrates River as far as the wadi of Egypt. And you Israelites will be gathered one by one. I mean, okay, I like what Constable says. You're going to start seeing a feast come come about. Okay, here's that big picture again, this feast coming about. The Lord is actually going to assemble, hence threshing the grain. Okay, he's going to be gathering them. He's going to be assembling the remnant of his people uh, from the promised land (laughs) uh, as a farmer would gather up his crops. He's gathering his people. I think we've already gone through this, but God has clearly already destroyed the enemies and he's gathering the Israelites uh, for the kingdom okay you got to slow down and just take a look at this process because remember you guys at the very beginning he defeated the enemy defeated the enemy he's gathering the folks making sure that they're going to be able to sustain through this time frame just hang out there right a little bit in the room <laughs> and then he just gathers everybody together one by I love that phrase by the way one by one. To me, it means everybody matters. It's the lost sheep mentality. It's I'm going after the one. And he says in verse 13, one of the best verses. Are you ready for this? On that day, a great trumpet will be blown. And those lost in the land of Assyria will come as well as those dispersed in the land of Egypt. And they will worship. Doesn't this take you back, you guys, to the oracles against Egypt? Assyria and Egypt and Israel, they're going to all come together and says they will worship the Lord at Jerusalem, on the Holy Mount, on Mount Zion, that everybody's going to come together and worship the Lord. And what are you going to hear, Kevin? You're going to hear a trumpet. Tom, why didn't you decide to play the trumpet in the band instead? Because um, my mom was my music teacher, and so she helped with the selection of my instrument. Mm-hmm. She didn't have a tuba, and she wanted a tuba. <laughs> I love what Weir'sby says about this trumpet. The camp of Israel was directed by the blowing of trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets took place on the first day of the seventh month and prepared Israel for the Day of Atonement. So they're used to the trumpet mentality, you guys. But the Day of Atonement prepared them for the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a picture of joy of the future kingdom. Now, here it is. Isaiah envisioned okay, a glorious day. When God would repeat the miracle of the Exodus and deliver his people from their bondage to Gentile nations. And so what you have, Wiersbe says, is that the trumpet would summon them to Jerusalem. Come on back. And announce God's victory over their foes, as we've already found in verse one. And they would worship the Lord in the holy mountain and Jerusalem at Jerusalem. And here's a cool picture that the, the kingdom's going to experience an endless feast. The fruit is going to be bountiful and you're going to see a holy day of worship as the people uh, are coming together. And so really, here's where we have to be today. When you hear this message, we truly need to be awaiting the sound of the trumpet. It's announcing the coming of the Lord for the church. And you ready for this? For those in Israel that have turned to him. And what happens then when the trumpet sounds, folks, we, we get to be in his presence we get to prepare for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And and then it's just kind of cool picture of that. When this trumpet sounds, we are with Him forever. Isaiah 26 and 27. I understand there is a lot there. Slow down, just enough to process. And ask the Lord, Lord, what what did I need to hear from this today? All right, guys, I hope you have an incredible day. And I'm going to keep saying it over and over again. My, my job is to never determine... When he's coming, my job is to get all of us ready. And my prayer is that this allows us to be prepared even more so for that day. All right, have a great day and we'll talk to you tomorrow.